Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's like the Battle of Trafalgar all over again in the English Channel. Scallop wars have broken out just off the Normandy coast. French and English trawlers have been ramming each other, hurling insults and even chucking stones and smoke bombs at each other. They're fighting over the rights to fish for scallops and it is literally the latest Brexit battleground. And it's only going to get worse because come March of next year, we won't have any rights to fish there at all. And what's going to happen then? 0344 499 1000. Katy Perry is back. We'll get her take on the so far rather underwhelming visit to South Africa by Prime Minister Theresa May and we'll also find out what she thinks of the BBC's latest blockbuster The Bodyguard. Isn't it a bit far-fetched? I don't think it's that good to be honest. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on we'll tell you why it's now okay to eat as much cheese and meat as you like. Go on plenty of holidays and how you can bring an end to those nightmares you've been having as well. You're listening to me Mike Graham and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's right now talk to Jim Portis, who is from the Southwest Fish Producers Organisation, because this, I think, as many of these uh, episodes often do, is likely to escalate, I think. Jim, very good morning to you. Hi, Jim. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Katie. Thanks very much. Yeah. Sorry to uh, to keep you waiting. It's it's not good news, the no scallop wars, is it? Oh, crikey. This is... Uh, it's, it's, it's nothing new. We've had it in 2009 mm. when, they, when the French kicked off before. It's nothing to do with Brexit. It's all to do with marketing of, of scallops. The French are very protective about this area. They like to keep it all for themselves uh, after the 1st of November. Yeah. These, the waters are international. The scallops are international. That We're entitled to harvest them. And uh, and so we do. They choose to close the fishery uh, from the beginning of May, actually, until the beginning of November. Mm. Uh, and then they gradually open it. But when when it's open, they harvest about 17,000 tonnes of the stuff. And it's, but and you it's can see, an I mean, you can fortunate. see why the French... And I'm, I'm not suggesting it's only to do with Brexit. All I was saying earlier yep. is that when Brexit happens, the French are basically going to say to us, uh, as they have said uh, in uh, this week, that come March the 29th, British boats will not be able to fish there anyway. Oh, that's an interesting uh, point, and, and and of course we're going to have to grow a pair, as as they say, and and there make sure that we're in a, <laughs> a pair of scallops, <laughs> and make sure that we're in a position to do precisely the same in in, in relation to our waters. Yes. And and of course, 
we don't go inside their 12 mile limit. That's what's the the irony of this. French fishermen uh, have been welcome between six miles and 12 miles around uh, Devon and Cornwall in particular. And their vessels have been coming into those waters since the 1960s, and and they want that to continue after Brexit. Now, we've never been inside their 12-mile limit, and and yet they are being really precious about a resource that is in international waters uh, on this occasion. And, And quite frankly, they don't have right on their side, even if they do have rocks and shackles. Yes. So what can we do about it, Jim? I mean, how do you retaliate on something like this? Well, we should we should first of all have our Royal Navy Fisheries Protection Squadron, it's called, and they should be out there doing the fisheries protection, precisely that. They should be out there assisting us, getting in, in between French fishermen and British fishermen to, uh, uh, to ensure that uh, safety of life is not uh, put at risk, which is what the French have been doing in the, in the last 48 hours. Uh, I know this is a that, stupid story, Jim. Negotiation. This- it's a stupid question. Is required. It's a stupid yeah, question, maybe, Jim, but um, how do you know that the boat is absolutely British and absolutely French? Is it because they've waved the flag and stuff like that? Well, well at night it can be difficult, but all of these uh, vessels uh, carry th- a thing called an AIS, Automatic Information System. So it's transmitting its location, its identity, all, all of that information, particularly from the larger vessels, is is being transmitted to anybody who wants to see it. I've got an ah. app on my phone that tells me where where my vessels are and and so it's uh, like you an can't do fancy like dress then. You can't like dress a, up as the French no, ones and try and no. dummy run them. Why, why would you want to? Just because they be, they look like they, they can't choose to, between one or another. You can't, you can't put a blue and white striped shirt on and put onions around your neck either. I mean, that's not going to work, is it, Jim? But surely the problem is, is yeah. this, it, you know, as, as ever with these disputes, you know, we've got obviously it sort of exploding yesterday. What's going to happen today? I mean, are, the, are we going to see the same scenes? There's a bit of a standoff now. The British vessels have left the area. Uh, and uh, the French vessels are still milling around, hoping that they don't come back. Right. Uh, behind their backs as a, a, a sort of thing, but uh, vessels have returned to Brixham to do repairs. Yeah. You know, some windows were shattered. Um, you know, p- paint pots were thrown. Yeah. Uh, did they get? Any, did they manage to get away with any scallops? They had three or four days' worth of fishing before the uh, the trouble kicked off. Right. Uh, and and so they're landing the, what scallops they did catch in in that particular time, and and, and they've made their money from that. But that normally they'd be back uh, it, after 24 hours to continue fishing. But uh, I suspect that they will wait to see whether my negotiations uh, uh, bear any fruit. I've had a call fruit. from France this morning inviting me to, to go over there and resume talks. Oh, really? So who's your counterpart over there from the French side? Uh, yeah, a gentleman called Pascal Coquette. He's Pascal in the, Coquette? Uh, re- yeah, yeah, he's very coquettish as Is well, he? and uh, and he's got uh, the role of representing the French fisherman. Right. He's been very firm in his position. He's a new guy. I haven't negotiated with him before, uh, so he's been very uh, resolute. Uh, I'm sure he's a hero to French fishermen yeah. today. Uh, but but you're our hero to, tomorrow, Jim. <laughs> I sure hope so. But, I mean, you. so can you guys actually settle this dispute, as it were, without any governmental interference? That's how it's worked for the last five years, and that's how we want it to continue. 
the the industry does like to be in a position now and again to uh, negotiate its own deals, fisherman to fisherman. Uh, on this occasion, it broke down. DEFRA uh, quite rightly said, look, we're going to stay out of this. Uh, uh, you, you know, eventually these guys will call you back to the table, and, and that seems to be where we are at the moment. Okay, and as far as the um, uh, the sort of the future of 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 the the Brexit style um, mm. fishing scenario goes, I mean, will you what what will you do come March, uh, or will you be negotiating with with Monsieur Coquette uh, between now and then as to what you can do? Well, this is where governments. Uh, get on with their business in their lofty uh, ivory towers. Yeah. So our our minister uh, Michael Gove, he's he's the lead for DEFRA. Our fisheries minister George Eustace, they've been doing their negotiations and and tabling their positions. Obviously, the the counterpart of that is the position from from Brussels and the EU twenty seven who are who are saying that they're not willing to give up uh, on, on fisheries. We, we'd like the two issues to be kept separate, These, mm. uh, the negotiations over Brexit uh, and, uh, and the trade deals and Northern Ireland, all those questions need to be dealt with and firmed up in our Brexit treaty, uh, and then we need to deal with the fisheries matter. So we need to be a an independent sovereign state, as they call us, yes. under the United Nations Convention. That's okay. what we're entitled to do uh, after Brexit, and that's what we should do. And just in terms of the mechanics of fishing for scallops, how does it work? Do you have to put a net down? Do you have to? I mean, how how, how do you get them? Well, these are these are bags made of steel chain, uh, almost like chain mail, but much bigger rings. Right. And and rakes, and they do rake them through the seabed to get the scallops out of the sediment, uh, and the scallops go back in the. And because scallops are very hard shelled, if you used uh, a netting bag, it would wear out very quickly. Mm. That's why they use a metal bag. Okay. Uh, but it's it's quite effective and uh, it's highly valuable. It's one of the most valuable fisheries in the United Kingdom. And Jim, just finally from me, can you clear something up very important this morning? Is it scallops like Mike Graham says, yeah, it is, or is yeah. it scallops? <laughs> well, they've always been scallops to me, and it's a load of codswallop if you say anything different. <laughs> My kind of man. Do you know what I think it is, actually? I'll tell you what, because we've got a tweet here from John who says, scallops are fried potatoes, uh, so it has to be scallops for the shellfish. It's scallops like dollops. Well, no, it's well, not really, because dollops yeah. is with an O. It's like wallop, if you want to pronounce it that way. But I, you know what I think? I've lived in America, you see, Jim. I lived in America for 10 uh-huh, years uh-huh, when I did used uh-huh. to eat an awful lot of scallops, and I think it's American to call them scallops. Yeah, scallops. And I'm a bit well, uh, confused uh, linguistically at times, and I think that's why I'm calling them scallops. Well, in France, they call them clams. Clams, do they? Yeah. See, whereas or, we've or... got something completely different for clams, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or, I mean, or well, we've got clams. Sometimes they call them coquille Saint-Jacques. Coquille Saint-Jacques. Be, yes, I've had them, in fact, I've had them in France as coquille Saint-Jacques, I think. There you go. That's yeah. it. That's it. Mm. So let's, well, should we, should we for adopt that up, the French Jim. for the future? Yeah. yeah. Coquille Saint-Jacques. Let's just call them that, and then well, listen, we don't have to call them scallops. Well, I'd love it if you could keep in touch with us uh, when, we, uh, when you go over to France to negotiate with Monsieur Coquette. Because uh, we'd like an update, Jim, if we could, whenever that happens. Uh, no worries. That's great. Thank you, Thank very, you much. very much indeed. Jim Porter, Southwest Fish Producers Organisation. What a great man. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, we've got loads of other people uh, who want to tell us about scouts. We've also got some calls to take, though, on the subject of these Cinderella flights because passengers with British passports will be full EU citizens when they board flights from Heathrow, Gatwick, Luton, Doncaster and Liverpool. But by the time they arrive, they could be classed as third country nationals because they will no longer be in the European Union. Let's talk to Andy, who's in Bristol. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. And good morning again. Good morning. What would you like to say, Andy? Well, I, I reversed in that situation as to people arriving in the UK after midnight. Sure. Uh, because uh, they would have normally been heading for EU re- requirements to enter our, our country. Yes. Country. But now, of course, it's not the EU. So EU requirements are not valid. So, uh, I mean, what are we doing for people arriving from the States right. or Russia or wherever internationally. Mm. No, it's a very um, good question because we've had the debate, have we not, which I don't think was resolved, Katie, about whether we should have a British passport uh, line when you arrive in airports in Britain, which I think they should have always had anyway, you know? Well, it, it, we, we, people who, who, most people have taken flights understand how, how we come through with the immigration requirements. But, of course, all that's going to finish, isn't it? So, uh, because all the EU countries now won't be, can't go through the green section, can they, in theory? And uh, about your scallops, it was the Armada, wasn't it? So I suggest the fishermen look up Drake and what he did, because it was that stretch of water where the Armada was. Oh, is that right? What, by, what, by Normandy, you mean? Uh, well, yes, it was, all mm. along that coastline, wasn't it? But uh, anyway, back to the old uh, immigration. Yes. Um, yes, I, 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 we've heard nothing about what we're going to do. And uh, because we're being an independent state, right. uh, people who come here come under EU requirements, uh-huh. not the EU anymore. Right. So that's all the green channels for EU citizens will have finished. Mm. And, uh, and, and who knows? And I, if I was thinking of going away on vacation, not business... 
think I might just postpone it for a few weeks till everybody knows what's going on. Well, yeah, hopefully they'll have sorted. So. It. Well, hopefully they'll have sorted it by then. Because at the end of the day, I've, I'm one of those optimists who doesn't believe that it's all going to be going to hell in a handcart. We're going to have shortages. But you're of not medicine. in politics, are you? Well, of course not. No, but the idea that we're going to lose, you know, we run out of food, we're going to run out of medicine, it's all rubbish, Andy. I promise you, there will be no problem. No, well, I'm okay because I, I mean I've stocked up with tins. Oh, well, there you, you go. Really, You're really? like one of those survivalists. How many tins of what you have you got? Really? Hey? Uh, Kate's saying you haven't really. Have you really, though? Honestly. No, I haven't. Thank I'm God for that. that. I don't, I'm not worried about it at all. I'm no. not going to starve to death. I don't, think, I don't think there's any reason to worry. Andy, thank you very much for your call. Because we're talking about the bodyguard now. This is new. Yes, I know. Whiz bang. Yeah. You know, everybody's talking about it. It's all over the front pages. You know, we've got the guy who's the star. We've got the woman who's the star. You know... I mean, people get themselves into such a frenzy, but you think there was nothing else on television apart from this one show. Yesterday, we were talking about it, and I said, well, I, you know, I, I didn't even know it was coming, so I haven't seen it. So last night, I decided to watch it, and I watched the first half an hour of it, and I just thought, well, what's the fuss all about? I well, don't think it was that great. You can tell when you've been on holiday, because they were training it a lot. They were putting it in magazines, they, you know, it was kind of right up of the week, you know, program yeah, well, of the week, that kind of stuff. Mongolia. I no, mean, I, think, I was in Devon. I think they did a really good job of kind of whipping it up in terms of, of interest. And uh, I've only seen the first one, so don't tell me what happens in the second one, because I'm watching it tonight on catch okay, up. Okay, all right. But... Um, I, I may not get to the second I enjoyed one. it. I've got to say, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. But how realistic is it? Yeah, well, how actually, realistic is it? It's quite realistic. Really? Yeah, it is. And the reason why I, I mean, say so... I the bit I've seen is this kind of, you know, rather uneventful train journey where some woman's wearing a suicide vest and it doesn't blow up. Well, that isn't very realistic, is it? I mean, how many times do you get that? Like, well, I mean, last time that. I was on the 510 from Falmouth up it to... It weren't on know, time for a start. First of all, it, the train was cancelled. So good <laughs> luck blowing it up. You know, it's not moving yet, darling. You know... <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, it, no, that's not quite. And, the, and so this is how we're introduced to the show with him doing this incredible act of bravery. Oh, it was gripping, though, the first was 20 it? minutes. Yeah, I was hiding behind the cushion. I was waiting for him to blow up. I was hoping it was going to blow up. Well, you knew he wasn't going to because there's a whole series left. That's all I kept on thinking. He's not going to die because there's a whole series yeah. left with this guy. I there's no way they're going to get rid an of him awful in the lot first of these, a lot of, An awful lot of these dramas are all so sort of contrived, it seems to me, you know? Well, I actually think that it's quite accurate in terms of the relationship between security services who know so much about because of course you will have had a direct uh, sort of you know knowledge of this particular yeah, type I mean, of activity. I remember one woman walking into my office and saying, mortified. I said, what? She went, I've been on a dating site because I can't get a date because I work here all hours, God sends. Right. And the protection officer is on there and he's just swiped me and he just <laughs> said to me he wants to meet for a date. And I went, oh God, oh my God, what are you, you doing? Are you not like told you can't do that though? You can't date like inside the, the, the staffing arrangements, can you? People do, do but they? it's not really kind of. It's, it's a bit frowned upon, but people do. But it's, Does I mean he she might didn't save, want to, but she's you know all the he men might in save London. Her before she can... he saves the prime minister, <laughs> yeah, because you know, he's in love with her. All the men in London, and she swipes someone and sits down the corridor <laughs> with a gun. You know, it's pretty But I mean, was it very? Con- were you very conscious of the fact that there were men with guns roaming around? Yeah, I felt quite safe, uh, actually. I mean, my mum and my family were always worried about the fact that I was in these kind of high-target areas. There's nothing safer than being in these buildings with these guys with guns, and they're happy to use them at any time. But they do know a lot about your personal life. They know a lot about... Because if you're sitting and chatting all day long... You know, and you're talking, and they go to the flat and they check to, in the Prime Minister's flat to make sure there's nobody, there are no intruders. Yeah. You do get to know them quite well. Yeah, right. And so they do know the. the and do you get the sense that they know everything about you as well, like even stuff you didn't know that they knew? Well, of course, because you have to keep your security checked. Right. So they do a six-month check on you. Right. Or, you know, speed it up So if you'd months. had, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that you have, but say, for example, you'd had a sort of affair with some dodgy character six months before you took the job, 
Would they know about that? They'd know about that. Even if you hadn't and told If they them. didn't know about that, they'd try and crack it out of you in right. a three-hour interview. Okay. So they try and, and you know drill it out of you. Basically wow. say, uh, you know, we know all about your past. We've got your bank statements. We know about your gambling habits. We know about, right. you know, your choices about who you end up in bed with. Yeah. We know about all that stuff to wow. just spill your beans. And, of course, you're, you're sitting there going, um, I'm actually quite boring. Yeah. Um, very boring, very dull, really. My bank account's pretty good, and uh, I save for quite well. And um, I just work like a dog, and yeah. then go home and go to sleep and come back right. and do it all again. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they do know a lot about you. But what I didn't like about the programme itself is that it's quite obvious this Home Secretary, Keely Hawks, is yeah. a Tory. Yes. And it's quite obvious. Because she's posh sounding. Because she's posh. Mm. And she came. You know, she was a barrister before she yeah. went into to law, into, yeah. into politics, which meant she was about about the age of 24. So yeah, right. like, I didn't quite work out. No. But um, it's also the fact that they did portray her as a bit of a cow. And it's so easy to portray, yeah. especially Tory female politicians, right. as not very nice people. Yes. And if you think about someone like Amber Rudd, whenever you think about her role in, as Home Secretary, she's actually a really nice, decent person. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people would argue with me on that. No, but of course and the BBC and the people who kind of enjoy up, these kinds of shows of course want the Tories to be horrible and nasty people because everybody knows that's what they're like. It's just stereotypical. For, yeah. And I would have liked the person to be a little bit more vulnerable or a little, you know, shown a different side to, to them uh, because everybody just thinks the politicians don't care uh, about you know, everyday people and my experience is different to that is that a large majority of them actually do but you know for various different reasons that doesn't get through to people so I just thought that the, 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 the programme itself was a little bit stereotypical but the whole bodyguard relationship is pretty accurate I remember once after the Westminster terror attacks I left the, the, my press office room with about 40 staff to go walk down the corridor to the past the cabinet office into the private office to see if the Prime Minister was safe I didn't right. know at that time did they manage to get her away Way. is she safe and is she in a safe location and as I opened the door I had a gun trained on my head <laughs> with a red dot they said get back in the room right. it is not safe get back in the room right. and later on he came down and he went I'd like to apologise for threatening you with a gun earlier <laughs> it's like nope you're doing your job and you made but, me feel I mean, very safe that does and, and, and you have to take your hat off to these guys because they are tremendously well trained and they're, you know, they have to put up with incredible kind of um, uh, situations quite often where they can't shoot the gun. They are just but, exactly. They're looking all yeah, the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. when you're talking to them, you realise that you can't shouldn't really be distracting them because no. they are looking all the time. I mean, I used to talk to a lot of again, going back to the time I spent in America when I went on a lot of you know campaign trails and stuff like that. Spent a lot of time talking to the Secret Service guys who were amazing, yep. absolutely amazing, because what they could see and what they could cover in the space of kind of a five minute look in a room was remarkable. Well, do I remember know, doing an interview with a guy who had ceased to be a, a Secret Service Mike, but he gave me some of the sort of tricks of the trailers that were in. You know, when you walk into a room, this is what you look for. This is how you see this over there. You, know, you see somebody sitting over there. This is probably what they're doing. I mean, they scan incredible. so quickly. Really they amazing, scan the yeah. room really quickly and mm. work out what the threat is very early on. Yeah. But when Rudy Giuliani, as mayor of New York, came to visit the Conservative Party, yeah. I was kind of 20-something-year-old press officer. And I was doing all the logistics, all the organisation. Yeah. And I was kind of, you know, here he comes, isn't it great and everything. And someone dared me, I think it was a tenor. Mm. Someone said, I bet you a tenor to talk into your collar and your, on your, your, collar and your you know, cuff right. for the next 15 minutes and see if you can completely freak them <laughs> out. with." <laughs> and so for some stupid reason, I was like... You went for that. Yeah, I went for that. And in the end, I just turned around and went, go away, little girl. <laughs> Like, we can kill you with our eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't even need they, weapons. I mean, those, those guys, and also some of the Secret Service guys look like they actually want to shoot <laughs> oh, someone. Oh, yeah, they're a bit bored. And Whereas they the, Brits, like to. I mean, the Brits kind of don't really want no. to shoot you. 
but they will if they absolutely have to kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, you know what's going to happen with this show. It's going to develop into some kind of... Um, They're going to you know, sleep together, right? Yeah, of course. There's going to be some relationship between yeah. the bodyguard. He'll probably have some kind of massively left-wing background or yeah. a no, sister. It's... He'll have a sister who's, you know, a member of the Labour Party no, or something. No, it's his background about in Iraq, isn't it? He, he served. He's got scars all over his back. You weren't even watching properly, were I you? I watched the first half an hour and I turned it off. Oh, he's got scars all over his Has back. He? He's been in war. Well, and, what's and that going to so, do with anything? Uh, because he doesn't like the politicians sending people like him to war for oh, pointless I see. wars. Well, then surely he shouldn't be employed then. I mean, somebody like that, if he had He's those... He's got PTSD or whatever it's called. PTSD. PTSD, yeah, that's it. Yeah, see, that's why scallops is right and scallops is wrong. Because okay. you can't even pronounce PTSD. PTSD. Well, yeah. it's very serious. Post-traumatic and, uh, yes. stress disorder. And so he uh, is in Apparently a Apparently that's what uh, Mel B's suffering from. And she's had to go to rehab for it. From what? PTSD. Well, from not being in Spice Girls anymore? I don't know what she's suffering from. I think from a marriage. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. that's what she's claiming. Okay. Anyway, look, the point is this. Here's the thing. Um, if he becomes um, a Secret Service uh, per- person, right, yep. surely they would track his background and they would see that if he was somebody who had those kinds of views, then that would mean that actually he wasn't eligible to be, to be guarding the Prime yeah, Minister. You wouldn't necessarily know, would you? Well, you, you just, yeah, know. but surely you would know. You wouldn't. Why not? You wouldn't necessarily know because armed forces, they don't give opinions. They yeah. fight. They fight. They don't give opinions. No, they but don't, I mean when know. he's hired to be part of that detail. Well, they just say, you know, and you say, yes, ma'am, because you want the job. And oh, okay. only later on you find out that actually he's got some views that are not quite... No, but what I'm saying is you surely... possibly you, wouldn't put him close up with a... With that's a what I'm saying, but that's why, it's un, that's why it's unrealistic because what you're saying is, is that, you know, they, they know everything about your life, so they also know probably about your opinions. They might have seen something that you put on social media. You know what I mean? It's, I, I just think that it's all very formulaic. Yeah, it is a bit. It is a bit. But I still think it's very entertaining. I think it's a good BBC show. And uh, I think it's, it's all right. right. I, I think, think part of me just kind of can't, I can't get wrapped up in this, you know, the whole nation. If it was Netflix, you'd be all over it like a rash. No, I don't You're think just so. a bit snooty because no, it's the probably, BBC. No, it's not about that. It's just about this kind of over-enthusiasm from people like the Daily Mail. You know, you've got her on the on the front page one day, then you've got him on the front page oh, the next day. Oh, it's better than Poldark or something like that that everybody gets well, obsessed that, yeah. with. Well, I never watched that at all. No, nor did I. I can't be bothered. rubbish. And I was even more disturbed to find that when I was about to go down to the West Country that parts of Cornwall now are sort of no-go areas because so many people are going to the beaches where they film Poldark. We're like sheep, aren't we? Unbelievable. I know. No thanks. It's really tragic. Absolutely tragic. Uh, anyway, here's a tweet uh, that I've got on the subject of the flying situation. Uh, Ray, uh, the uh, taking off of aeroplanes. The UK CAA is one of the largest aviation authorities in the world, uh, says Rob. All traffic leaving uh, Europe and further west must transit UK airspace via the CAA to get to the United States. Uh, and no scallop in the EU is going to screw up the UK flights bound for EU cities. The agreement works both ways. I know there's some truth to that i think so although by the other the other thing i should say is and this happened to me when we were flying to um uh, to greece in half term there was from some kind of french air traffic control strike so we our all the flights were leaving britain they were delayed because they all had to fly around french airspace ridiculous but that what but that happens all the time how can this country be more productive how can france be more productive than the uk when you hear about these stories all the time i don't get it i would say during the course of this summer at least one day a week, there's been some French air traffic control problem. There's a massive protest when I was when I went to Disneyland earlier on this year right. um, uh, in the station, and they were, and I went up to the staff and said, "What are they protesting about?" She went, "I have no idea. It's every day, <laughs> something different every day." <laughs> it is ridiculous, absolutely mad. But well, let's talk to Ian Wallace, who's psychologist, psychologist and dream expert, because maybe he can tell us. Ian, a very good afternoon to you. Hi, Ian. Hey, Mike and Katie, how are you? Very well, very well. Nice to hear from you. Now. Um, First of all, I suppose, um, is there any connection to the food that you eat and, and the dreams that you have and, and or the nightmares that you have? 
No, there's, there's none at all. There, there is a connection between the type of food. So there's the old wife's tale, if you eat cheese before you go to bed, you'll have nightmares, mm. which is complete nonsense. Is it? Because cheese is quite indigestible because it's quite fatty, then your body has to work quite hard to digest it. So okay. you will be more restless in your sleep. So you can have some cheese. If you have a big vindaloo or tandoori before you go to bed, you'll have the same sort of experience. Right. But you won't necessarily yeah. trigger any kind of bizarre kind of you know, deep memory that you didn't know you had. No, there'll be absolutely no cheese-related flashbacks. <laughs> right. And so tell us why then we have nightmares or why some people are more susceptible to than others. Well, so people make this distinction between dreams and nightmares, but there's no distinction. Really. They're just along a spectrum. So all a nightmare is is a dream that's a bit more vivid, maybe a bit scarier for right. you, a little bit more disturbing. But what the dream is, people think that dreams happen to them and nightmares happen to them, but the reverse is true. We actually happen to the dream and create everything that we experience in it just as a way of making sense of our emotions and waking life. So when you create a nightmare, there's something in your waking life where you've got the power to do something really good. You've got a really good opportunity, but it might scare you a bit. You might have some anxiety around it. So when you have that, that, that dream, Mike, of, of waking up in the middle of the night, yeah. uh, feeling like someone's going to murder you or right. kill you, there's some part of yourself that you feel you have to kill off in order to win the acceptance and approval of other people. Ah. So, so it's all about trying to lay some part of you to rest. Because mm. it's honestly, it's the only, it's the only time that I've ever actually woken up uh, and in, 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 in a kind of in making a noise. Effectively, I mean, it was it was quite strange. Yeah, and and you were saying that we only dream in the morning. That, that's not the case. We sleep in ninety-minute cycles. These ultradian rhythms, and in each of these ninety-minute cycles, we'll have a dream episode. It's quite short at the start of the night, about five ten minutes. By morning, you're up to about 40 minutes. So we spend mm. two hours per night dreaming or a twelfth of our lives dreaming. Okay. And do you dream in real time? For example, you know, I've previously sort of thought and, and I've spoken to people about dreams before and I've, I've actually read Freud's book of dreams. I don't know whether that was a good idea or not um, um, to, in order to interpret some of them. But, um, you know, when you dream, say, just before you wake up and then you wake up in the morning. I, I said that because I tend to wake up in the morning remembering dreams better than any other time. Um you know, are you dreaming sort of in the, say you're dreaming for 10 minutes, is, is that 10 minutes in the dream or is it longer, shorter? Uh, it, it can vary. What happens in the dream is the, the same thing that happens in a movie. It's, it's narrative compression. So right. one of the things that, that dreams, the function of dreaming is to make meaning and make sense. So in a movie, you can imagine if a, if a movie actually occurred in real time, like something like 48 hours and you'd be sitting in the cinema for 48 hours. Right. It's no fun at all. So in a story or a narrative, that gets compressed to the most meaningful parts, and that's what you do in a dream as well. You just have the most meaningful stuff in there. So you can have a completely epic dream where you live your whole life out in 10 minutes in the dream. And what about people who talk in their sleep and uh, who maybe shout out in their sleep or do and many other things, sleepwalk? Is that is that a similar function? Yeah, so when we go to sleep, and particularly when we're dreaming, we secrete this substance called glycine from our brainstem, and the purpose of that is to effectively paralyse our anti-gravity muscles, your legs, arms, back, and so on, and also your vocal cords, so you don't actually enact the dream. But if you're having a particularly powerful dream, then you'll start to overcome that process. So you might kick your legs around a bit, or you might start to sleep talk. Right. Uh, and in some cases, particularly in young people whose brains are still quite plastic, then there'll be some sleepwalking there as well. 
Yeah, see, I've known people who've done that. Been when when my sister, I think I've told this story before, had a bizarre episode, and it was it was down to the fact that she'd had a couple of wisdom teeth taken out, and they gave her these really heavy sedatives, and she started sleepwalking right while she was taking them, and she has an apartment in Manhattan. She walked out of her apartment down the corridor into um, another apartment because their their door was somehow open, and a couple were in there, and she started talking to the guy, and the woman went berserk. She was like, "Why does this woman know you?" You know, why is she so... How is she coming to our apartment? How is she so... And she said after that, for about the next four weeks, all she could hear them doing was rowing. And, they, and then they split up. <laughs> oh, God. That's never good. But you're right about food, uh, Ian, in terms of my partner who eats... If he eats Chinese food, which we don't have very often, but if we do, he seems to react really badly to it. Not in terms of he's ill or anything like that. It's just that sleep at night, he all of a sudden goes into bit of a strange kind of, oh, yeah. you know, talking in his sleep. Uh-huh. And does he not do that normally? Then? No, nothing like that at all. So it's very odd that certain things can trigger it. Yeah, so there'll be something in, in the Chinese food that your partner's having, Katie, that is giving him disturbed sleep that he's finding it difficult to digest in some way. So that's why he's more restless and, and shouting out and talking in his sleep. I mean, yeah, I've got a couple good. of uh, tweets here for you, um, if you don't mind me asking you these, Ian. Paul says, no. being on meds, one side effect is very vivid dreaming. Almost always they are based in familiar locations that's strangely unrecognisable. But I've often heard my late mum's wonderful voice, yet when I awake, I struggle to remember it. It's strangely comforting, but kind of upsetting as well. Yeah, so so any sort of medication you're on, particularly if, if it's doing something around your brain functions, will cause you to have really, really vivid dreams. The, the classic one is when people give up smoking or yeah. when they use nicotine patches. Uh, smoking suppresses your dream activity. So if you stop smoking, you'll have the most amazing dreams. It's called REM rebound. So for Paul, when he's uh, having these quite unusual dreams, but in familiar locations, there's some situation in his waking life when he's in quite a familiar situation, but he can see another way to move through that. And when he hears his mum's voice, then it's whatever quality that Paul associates with his mom, so it might be wisdom, nurturing, caring. He can use that quality in waking life to make the most of some familiar situation. Right. Um, Jennifer says, during a daytime nap more than nighttime, I seem to dream of and see long dead relatives. Uh, she says, are they calling me to go with them? No, that's again, that's the pointy hat, swirly cape, woo-woo stuff. <laughs> it's nothing to do with messages from beyond or anything right. like that. So when the dream doesn't happen to us, we happen to the dream. So when we create a dream, we create all the characters in it. And all the characters, like Paul's mum in his dreams, are just representing our own characteristics, and we've got the opportunity to do that. So when Jennifer's having a daytime nap, it will be quite a light sleep. So she'll be drifting in and out of what's called the hypnagogic state when you're aware that you're dreaming. And that's why she'll be starting to see these relatives, understand the qualities that she can embody in waking life. So it's not some call from beyond the grave. OK. Uh, another one here from Alex in Beckenham. I quite often dream that I'm trying to walk and it's nigh on impossible or trying to climb out of something uh, and the same thing. What could any of that mean? Yeah, so this is a, a, an absolutely classic dream of being stuck, not being able to move your legs. So the way that we work with dreams is just to work with language and imagery. And saying, what do your legs do? They enable you to take steps forward. So there's something in Alex's waking life where they've got the ability or the opportunity to take a step, to make some sort of commitment, to move something forward, some project or idea. And usually in that dream, the, the person is leaning forward because their head is ahead a of their feet. And it means they've got the idea, they've got the concept, but they're currently taking no steps to put that into action in waking life. Right. Here's a bizarre one from Kev. He says, I had a dream many years ago that I won the Grand National on a giraffe. 
<laughs> I've never, I've never been able to work out the reason for that. That's brilliant. Yeah. So uh, one of the things about dreams, is, as well as being quite, um, you know, vivid and scary, they're also massively entertaining. Yeah. But so anytime we dream about a, a creature, like a horse or a giraffe, it's something to do with creativity and waking life, and not being like an oil painter or a sculptor, but right. being able to problem solve. So there was something in Kev's waking life at that time where he felt he was in some, some competition, some race to do something, and he had to harness his creativity by the horse. And then the, the reason he was in a giraffe, he had to uh, somehow stick his neck out, be a bit more prominent, and I imagine he won the race by a neck. <laughs> Very good. Now, I wonder whether you've had a chance to look at this uh, study uh, where scientists are saying that they might be able to somehow um, recode genes, which would mean uh, that you wouldn't actually have nightmares. I mean, is there any likelihood that that could happen? No, it's complete nonsense, actually. Is it? So, yeah, so this work was done by a neuroscientist, uh, Joseph Takahashi, and a molecular geneticist, geneticist Mahashi Yannick Asawa, and it's done on mice. So mice have got tiny, tiny brains mm. with not very many neurons. Humans have got 100, bill, 100, yeah, 100 million neurons. So lots and lots of neurons. And the thing is that if you turn off dreaming, then it's shown that the people who don't dream have, have major, major health issues. Mm. And one of the things that happens if someone is voluntarily or involuntarily deprived of sleep, when they do get the chance to sleep, nearly all their sleep is dreaming sleep, is REM sleep. So this idea that you can just turn off a dream is a really, really bad idea. And also the fact that it's just done in mice. You can't transfer that same neurological understanding from mice to humans. And I'm, I don't even know what mice dream about. I suppose they dream about cheese and then they have nightmares. <laughs> well, so, only when they uh, eat I Chinese food, presumably. But, I mean, can you kind of train your dreams, if you like? Because I've spoken uh, to, to psychologists before who have said that, you know, there is there are maybe things you can do um, to make your dreams more memorable in, in as much as you remember them better or uh, or that you can actually dream about specific things if you want to? Yeah, you can, Mike. So, so one of the things you can do, so uh, people can often say, oh, I just, you know, I don't dream, which means they don't remember their dreams. So to remember your dreams and start working with them, you know, all you have to do is remember three words, which are will, still, and fill. So tonight when you go to sleep and you lay your head on your pillow, say, tonight I will remember a dream or part of a dream. So you're right. setting the intention. And then when you wake up, lie completely still. Because as soon as you start to move, you will lose dream imagery. Right. So don't chat to anyone. Don't look at the clock. Don't even wiggle your toes. And as you lie there still, you'll get dream images coming into you, coming back into your mind, huh. into your memory. And all you have to do is fill in the gaps between them and you'll get a dream narrative. This is really and exciting. That intention, I think we should all do this tonight, yes, right? Do it. I don't mean together, obviously, not as some kind of you know, joint uh, Cracking off and all that, you know, but carry on, Ian. It's a family show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and by doing that, you can set the intention of things you'd like to dream about. So as you're just drifting off into sleep, just start to think about where you might like to go. Hmm. And, and the more you do that, there's a, a, a technique, a method called lucid dreaming, where you become aware in your dreams, you become aware that you're dreaming, and then you can make choices in your dreams. And there's a lot of weird and wonderful ways to induce lucid dreaming. Uh, but the best way, the most powerful way, is to do it from a nightmare. It's that moment when you're waking from a nightmare, you find it quite scary. If you can just stay in the nightmare, then you can start to make choices and resolve whatever tension you're experiencing. Okay. So the lying still bit, is that before you go to sleep or when you no, wake when up? when you wake up. You're all right. Calm down. No, you weren't listening. Well, I was, but Hurry I thought because yeah, he went from waking up to, to going to sleep, so that was it was kind of in the wrong order for me. So my <laughs> mind is very compartmentalised, Ian. I'm afraid. Please. So what do I do before I go to sleep? Yeah. So before you go to sleep, you say, "I will remember a dream of part of a dream." So right. That's will. Okay. 
And then when you wake up, whenever that is, lie completely still. Right. Don't move at all. And then just fill in the gaps between the dream images that are coming back to you. Because they'll usually come back as little short bits of dreams. Yeah. And then you like, what happened before that? What happened after that? So will still and fill. Okay, and should you keep like a diary, maybe, and like if you while after you've finished lying still, obviously you get up and start writing about it. Yeah, it's, it's a very good idea because one of the things that we tend to think of dreams as as being quite individual things with a start and an end, but they are episodic. So there's there's always a, a narrative arc that will travel through your dreams over a period of months and years. So it's very good to see those patterns emerging right. and work with that. And it just helps you rem- You get into that habit of remembering your dreams. You don't have to keep some ornate diary with a brass lock and a fountain pen and all that stuff. You can just even talk into your phone. You can record it as a, as a message okay. and then just have that voice narrative as well. Oh, cool. Because, I mean, a lot of people have a similar type of dream. Here's another couple here, one from Nat, who says, I used to have a dream where it was Christmas and I'd come down the stairs, but the stairs are like an escalator going up and I can't get down them. And it just keeps reoccurring. Yeah, that's very good. So anytime we dream about uh, some sort of special event or something like Christmas, it's a celebration of something, and it's a celebration of some gift. So there's something with that where there's the opportunity to celebrate some talent, some gift, some skill they have. Uh, But if you're stuck on an escalator, again, it's that idea of there are some steps that have to be taken. So it might be taking those steps down, but always not quite being able to express those gifts or express those talents because the steps and commitments haven't been taken to do that. Okay. And finally, this one I, I know is a very regular one for a lot of people. Joel in Marylebone has the teeth falling out dream a lot. Yeah, so this one from Joel, it's the, the second most common dream. So this has got old, lots of old wife's tales around it. It's right. about uh, some death in the extended family or getting old or you need to visit your dentist which is quite a good idea anyway <laughs> these, are all, these are all about power and confidence so we tend to show our teeth in waking life on two main occasions one is when we're smiling so all happy and confident and now one is when we're kind of snarling about asserting ourselves and showing our power so if you dream that your teeth are falling out the usual way people talk about it is your teeth are crumbling mm. there's some situation in your waking life that's causing your confidence to crumble so the action from this dream, because a dream is just a dream until you put it into action, is just to show up confidently, to show up powerfully, and just to engage with your inner power and confidence. And as you do that, you'll find that you actually have more power and confidence than you ever thought you could have in waking life. I'm certainly going to try some of these things yeah. this evening. Yeah, oh, great. Absolutely. Really fascinating. Ian, have you got a website or something people could look at? Yeah, so my website is ianwallacedreams.com, and there's lots and lots of information on there about dreams and dreaming. And a couple of books out as well, the Top 100 Dreams, which are the 100 most common dreams from oh, around the world. Okay. Uh, and the complete A to Z Dictionary of Dreams, Be Your Own Dream Expert. Brilliant. Well, it's been fascinating, Ian. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure we'll talk to you again, and we'll try this dream experiment, I think, tonight. Ian Wallace there, psychologist and dream expert. What do you reckon? I'm going to give it a go. Steal. Well, will, first of all. I will remember this dream. and then wake what up. It? Will, still and what? I can't remember the last bit. See? It's no good, that. No, but the point is, it's will... You, so you decide to have the dream, right? You say, yep. this is what I'm going to dream about. Yeah. Uh, and then... Um, you lie very still you lie when you wake up. When you wake don't up. speak to anyone, don't Something do anything. in the middle, um, which I can't remember. But then, see, then, so when you come in on Friday, see if you can remember it. We'll write it down on the board, you know. talk it into you and see yeah. what you had a dream about. There you go. Because one day, maybe you would be able to actually somehow manufacture the same dream. How about that? Scary Mary. So, like, why don't we... We could decide on a subject, right? And you say, right, I'm going to dream about something, and I do the same. And see if we dream the same dream. Chinese food. What, did you order chow mein or special fried rice? We'll find out on it's Friday. It's not very interesting, is it? <laughs>
It's really not very interesting. But um, and interesting for, for, uh, for politicians particularly, because politicians, obviously, a very high-profile job, yep. um, have got a lot of things to worry about, a lot of confidence issues, a lot of stress and all that kind of thing. A lot of online not, kind of diatribe. And also, and also, I've always thought, if you were somebody who had, say, knowledge of, of state secrets and or... You know, you know, sort of top secret yeah. materials and, and things. You know, things that are going to happen. That you in... wouldn't talk about yeah. it in your sleep. I've always yes. thought that that would be a massive um, thing for spies to kind of, you know, get out of people. You're now saying they're going to sleep alone in order for not to share well, the state secrets with a partner next to them. I don't know. Partner next to them. I don't know. Mm. It's fascinating stuff. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.